Welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater 2020, our YouTube channel where we discuss lacrosse highlights with the all-stars who created them. These are the audio files, and I'm your host, Mitch Belisle. All right, we are here for episode 25 of the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater. Joining us today, Coach Bill Day, Coach BD, coming in from, where are you logging in from, Coach BD? Hingham, Massachusetts. Beautiful South Shore, Massachusetts. Uh, Coach Day is a a, uh, multiple national champion winner, as you can see over the the shoulder at UNC. And I... I forgot, I was going to say, it's, it's been a while since UNC had won one, maybe since you've been there, but they just won a couple, couple years ago with, with uh, Cliche. I, I completely forgot about that, and, and then I had to do my research and look that up. So, Yeah, that was, uh, well, just, just to, to set their record straight, it, it was actually one national champion. That was my sophomore year championship, but we, uh, we were fortunate enough to be in the Final Four all four years, and then the national championship came twice. My senior year, we lost to Syracuse. Got it. Uh, got it. That's right. I thought. I thought you guys. That's. It was ninety-one yeah. three, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was. I was looking at these notes a bit suspiciously there, BD, and and he, even he brought up like the 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 two titles or to the one. And I'm like, I don't. I don't. I. You know, who's the quality control expert on this? Because last time I checked, because I was coached by Brooks Matthews. Um, that's right. You know, and and so I knew about the '91 title, and I'm looking down. And I'm like, '93. I don't know about that actually, because um, it was quite the it was quite the drought. '91 until you know just a couple of years ago. Twenty-five years to be exact. That's why it's funny. This is episode <laughs> twenty-five. So uh, yeah, it was our twenty-fifth anniversary, and uh, down in Philly, and that's when the uh, both the the men's team and the women's team right. won the championship in 2016. So it was a pretty sweet weekend. Did they win other sports as well that year? I feel like it was like a banner year for, for North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm not sure what, but we usually do win multiple national championships. Just saying. Soccer, <laughs> field hockey, um, you know, baseball's been in the uh, Elite Eight a few years. Um, it's just, you know, it's uh, basketball is not, it's basketball 16. I think basketball is 17, actually, but I could be wrong. I'm getting old. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that Carolina blue, you know, we, we like it at Trilogy. Similar, very similar mm-hmm. hue to the Trilogy colors. So I'm somewhat partial there. And, and I just can't stand Duke, even though we just talked in the head earlier this week. Um, well, BD, how, how did you get into lacrosse? I know you grew up in, in Long Island, but what, what made you want to play lacrosse? And specifically, what made you want to play goalie? A great question. Uh, so I didn't start playing lacrosse until eighth grade. Um, I was actually a little league baseball player forever. And um, when we switched from the little league field to the Babe Ruth field, when I turned 13, I was in eighth grade, my skills just uh, went, they just went away. I mean, literally could not hit the ball uh, from the, um, you know, just that extra distant from the mound to the plate. So I went from being a starter, whether it was a catching or first base and hitting two, three or four to basically sitting on the bench and coming in for mop up time and getting stuck out in, in the outfield. And I'll never forget, uh, we were playing a night game 
I was playing left field in like the sixth or seventh inning and there was a, a rocket hit right towards me. And anyone who knows baseball knows that the first thing you're supposed to do on a fly ball is take two steps back so you can gauge. And I just came sprinting in. And I was like, oh, oh, all of a sudden I turn around and I start sprinting back. The ball goes over my head into the fence. After the dug after the inning's over, I go back to the dugout. My coach is yelling at me. I'm like, that's it, I'm done. So um a good friend of mine who you guys may know, Mark Millen and I grew up, we actually played little league baseball together as well. He was just like, Beatty, you gotta try try lacrosse. And um uh bought my first brine magnum and i was pretty much over his house like every day just uh working on my stick trying you know trying to learn the game and you know learn this the, the skills and eighth grade middle school i played midi um and had a blast you know it was fun um and then ninth grade we needed a goalie for jv and once again mark was involved because we used to play um roller hockey and I could skate, but I wasn't a great skater. So I would play goalie. And then Mark would be in the other goal. And we'd literally be flopping around, making saves. And we had like one zero games or two one games because it would just be insane. And he's like, BD, you should play goalie, man. It's it's just like street hockey. You'd be great at it. So I, uh, I listened to him. And uh, freshman year in high school, our JV team was 18 and three, Mark obviously led the scoring and um, I put on every single pad you can imagine. I was going to ask you, <laughs> I asked if you had a blocker and a catching glove ready to go. Shoulder pads, <laughs> arm pads, chest protector. I had cut off football pants on underneath my shorts, volleyball mm -hmm. pads, soccer shin guards. So I was making saves, just kick saves and stuff like that. So. That's yeah, but that makes started. that makes sense coming from street hockey, right? Because you've got all those pads yeah. on in terms of wearing it from a hockey perspective. So let me ask you this: was that was the roller hockey? Was this like an organized league, or was this like pickup with like buddies in in the streets? Actual street hockey. It was pickup, but it was organized in the way where we had guys who would you know make sure we had enough guys in each team. We would play at our tennis courts. And, you know, we played a, a three-period game, I mean, and we played probably two or three times a week. That's awesome. That's really cool. I love, I love those kind of stories. Like, who are we talking to? Roy Colsey was talking about growing up in, uh, in Yorktown where they would play in this guy's yard. And then they would, like, he'd, like, open the window and yell out the window the score to the college games. And the kids would, like, stop playing. And then he'd, like, slam the window down and they keep playing again, which I love those old That's school great. You know, that's where I, I feel like that's where the most like competition and the most like love for sports gets instilled is in those kind of backyard games where you where you have a lot of fun and you're doing it with your buddies. and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was, you know, there was no social media or even phones back then. Uh, play, you know, um, video games were, you know, I think there was Atari 2600, but that's it. So. Life was different back then. You know, we were outside a lot. Well, I think on top of that, there's no coach and there's no refs, right? So it's the straight up figure it out. So yeah. you're, you're kind of coaching yourself. You're kind of watching other people like, oh, wow, that guy's really good. Like, what does he do? Right. And then, you know, if you get checked or pushed or fouled, just to just like pick up hoops. It's like, right, am I going to call this or am I not going to call this? Like, like, what's the leeway? Like, what kind of? 
what do I want this game to be like? So I, I think that's the other thing is, is kids feeling empowered and being in a position where they just got to figure things out on their own. Good point. Fist Good fights? Point. Were there fist fights in those games? We didn't get – I mean, you know, it, there were some times where you, it, it, it got very competitive, like Ryan just said, and, and we were going after each other. But never to, a, like, an all-out brawl. You know, a couple of guys would drop the gloves and start pulling on each other. But then we're like, all right, come on, let's go break it up. We got to keep playing. We got to be home by five. <laughs> we got a game to play, guys. Exactly. <laughs> And awesome. and for me, B, for me, BD, and maybe it was different. Like my backyard was also like there was a bunch of different ages, and so like Mitch, there was never any fights because it was like, oh, I'm not fighting that guy. Like 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 there was a clear hierarchy in terms of like oh like like my oldest brother. It's like yeah, I'm not messing with him. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it back to the house, you know. And so it's like you gotta you had to like kind of know how to like be annoying. And maybe it's just coming from a younger brother perspective, but. BD, did you have those, like, different age groups? Because everything now is, like, the same grad year, right? Like, the same age, where it's, like, I think part of the, the, the fun of kind of back in the day was kind of that hierarchy in terms of, like, age and size, physical size. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's spot on because that was probably the coolest thing. I was playing with, you know, I was a freshman playing with sophomores, juniors, and even some of the seniors who were out there skating around. So that was, like, my sort of – you know, chance to be cool playing street hockey, roller hockey with the, you know, older kids and, uh, you know, just playing my part and having fun at the same time. And, and what was the, uh, so, so you start as a freshman goalie and, and have some success in that freshman year and then obviously go on to join one of the most storied programs and, and how did that, where, where did that transition take place where you're like, Oh, this is something I can pursue. And then, and then how did Carolina happen for you? Uh, another great question. I was actually just talking about this last night to a couple of buddies who were over. So I, um, high school career, basically uh, after my freshman year starting goal, then I went up to varsity, uh, backed up race service, uh, who ended up playing at UMass back in the day. Uh, backed him up for two years. So my sophomore year, I was kind of just like a bench guy. I came off the bench and played man down if we had a couple of penalties, but I was mainly on the bench. And then junior year, uh, Ray was a senior. So I actually played midi that whole year. Um, midi and man up scored like 15 or 16 goals and then tried out for the Empire State Games that summer oh as a goalie. So, you know, there was no club lacrosse, as, as you guys know back then. It was like all the college coaches were on the sidelines of Long Island tryouts. You know, I mean, yeah. it was just lined up with coaches. So that's pretty much where I sort of got, got, um, got my look. Um, did you, you want to play goalie? Did you think you had a better shot at goalie? Why did you do goalie as opposed to midfield? Um, yeah. That's a great question. I think I just – I was a quarterback in football. I was a catcher in baseball mainly. That, that was my main spot in baseball. And then goalie just seemed like a natural fit of sort of that, that, that role that sort of, you know, has the same uh, – Coach on the field, organizer. Yeah, that, that leadership sort of role. You're just very vocal. Um, so it was just a natural fit for me. I mean, I enjoyed MIDI. Don't get me wrong, but um, it, it's, you know, after that Empire State Games tryout, actually, 
Kevin Barry, I don't know if you if you remember that name. He was from Lindbrook, uh, another goalie who ended up going to Hofstra. But we were both being recruited to North Carolina at the same time. And they, they told us both, we would love both of you to come here. And, you know, whoever doesn't make it uh, in goal, the other one will be a midfielder because he played a little midi in high school as well, too. So um, it's just something about being in goal that I enjoyed more than uh, – you know, running up and down the field, I guess. How long, how many years into your high school career? Was it like each year? Did you lose a little bit more padding? Like sophomore year, you took off the shoulder pad. Junior yeah. year, you got rid of the elbow pads. After my freshman year, I sort of figured it out. You know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can't be looking like this. So I took it all off uh, my junior, my sophomore year and, and playing varsity and and then, uh, you know, I started wearing shorts my junior year, and then, you know, that was it. Awesome. And then and then UNC, I, I saw in a past interview, you talked both your parents are from North Carolina originally, right? So was it always you were just like that was, you know, as you got that attention, were you like thinking if I can go to UNC, I'm going to UNC first first thing, if, that's, if they give me an offer? Well, yeah, I mean, I actually thought I was going to be playing – football for North Carolina, to be honest. Um, I had North Carolina football memorabilia in my room growing up. I wanted to be a Tar Heel from day one. I just, I didn't think it was, I had no clue it was going to be playing and playing lacrosse. <laughs> That's probably the funniest part of the story. But uh, you know, I was just like a lot of guys coming out of high school. I had a few different options, but, uh, you know, when I went down to North Carolina, it was just, it just sealed the deal. It did. I actually canceled my trip the next week to Virginia. What um, what was it when you know was it uh, the guys on the team, the uh, the coaching staff, the culture, the school, like the cool colors? Uh, what what uh, what was it? You're like I'm I'm in. I mean, obviously, you've always dreamt of being there. It's very rare that reality matches with our dreams, right? It's like. You probably built it up so much, it, it, it almost had to have been a letdown, and yet it wasn't. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, was, it was a combination of, of, of many things. Colors were definitely on top of the list. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You know, that Carolina blue is special, you know, hence why the trilogy is uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, that direction. But, um, yeah. you know, I stayed with, uh, with uh, John Webster um Mike Acey and Dan Donnelly so I had that crew and you know Dan Don Donnelly was a fellow Long Island guy so was Ace and Webby was cool and it's just you know it's just everything about it I mean Carolina obviously back then too was was very 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 competitive um and just everything about it the weather and then just uh obviously the the academic uh of the school was great it was just a perfect fit and it's just like Coach Gross called me in his office Sunday morning, and I remember just being like, had a serious headache, and uh, I was just like, oh boy. And he goes, you know, hey, you know, I would love for you to be a Tar Heel, and uh, I was like, I'm in. And that was it. That was it. Seems like yesterday. It's awesome. And so you get there in 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 1990, and so you were you were you kind of worked your way up the depth chart, right? You had a, there was a there was was there a senior goalie that started in '90? I saw, and then it was '91 where you got an opportunity to to get to get some a little bit more playing time. So 1990, uh, Andy Piazza, he was a uh, transfer from um, Nassau, so he was actually a junior. Um, and then we had a walk-on uh, great guy, Lars Peterson, 
And, um, you know, Coach Scroggs, basically, he wanted me to push Andy and um, compete for the starting job as a freshman. And I, you know, I came in with that mindset. I uh, probably the biggest thing for me coming from, you know, a, a pretty good high school program where competition uh, for the most part was, was high level. Uh, it was just the speed of the game was so much different. And, um, you know, the speed and then, uh, you know, the athleticism of everyone around you and, and all of a sudden, you know, the ball's moving that much faster and that much accurate, you know, more accuracy on their shots. It just took me a little bit to really get used to it. So fall ball was like so-so. And then um, got a couple of opportunities early in the season where we were playing some, you know, not so great teams. And I just, I wasn't where I needed to be. So freshman year was kind of a bust, to be honest with you, from my perspective. But Sophomore year, I came back with a different mentality. Andy was a senior. Um, I felt in a, like I was in a better, better place and uh, pushed him pretty hard preseason. And then, you know, it's got a great opportunity in the national championship game when he got a penalty. And that was that was sort of it. You know, that's that's sort of my claim to fame um, with those two saves up in the dome and then outlet for a fast break goal. And then we went on to win that championship and you know like attackmen middies defensemen a lot of guys play you know goalies as we all know being coaches you know really one guy plays so to have the opportunity to play in a national championship game as a backup goalie and and do what you're supposed to do and that's do your job was pretty freaking special and pretty cool and that really helped you know, build up the confidence what, what was the, the culturally going from Long Island down to North Carolina? How was that adjustment? And, you know, also curious, what, what was the, what were the, you know, what were the guys like that were, that it sounds like there was a couple Long Island guys. What was the mix of players on the team? That's, uh, it was probably 40% Long Island, 40% Maryland. So you had MIAA, you know, the BLs, the Gilmans. <laughs> You know, um, and then you had Long Island guys. So we used to have a joke, you know, you got the finesse and then you got the toughness, you know. So long, New York, Long Island would bring the toughness and the Maryland guys would give you that finesse. But um, and then we had a couple, you know, the 15, 20 percent were like upstate New York and maybe a little Philly and then just kind of sporadic. But guys were all great. I mean, it's like any any team. I think that's, you know, it's. With everything going on in the world today, we, you know, we often reference team sports and, 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 and how that camaraderie just brings you together, no matter where you're from, what your economic background is, what color skin you are. It's just, it doesn't matter when you're on a team. And that was the best thing about, you know, um, you know, people ask me, you know, you're down the South. I didn't really, didn't really, you know, I was always with, that those group of guys for the four years that had nothing else really outside of that affected me. So um, it was just a, a special group all the way from, you know, the seniors that I was under a, a, as a freshman up to when I graduated, just a real great group of, of men. Well, you bring up an interesting point, you know, obviously you were a, a pioneer in terms of the first black player in the MLL. Um, and, and I got to imagine, probably a rare number of black players when you were playing in the early nineties and in, in, in the NCAA 
and you mentioned, you know, within the dynamics of the team, you felt like it were, were the North Carolina Tar Heels, right? But were there, did you have, feel like you had pressure on you to represent the black community, to be a voice of the black community, or did it not even feel like that because you're so focused, singularly focused on the season? It didn't, I didn't feel like I had pressure to represent the black community. I felt like I had pressure as a black man playing a sport that was, you know, back even when I played, it was probably 96, 95%, you know, white, that I felt like I needed to perform to show that I belonged. I think that's where the pressure came from, and that was put on by myself. And, and I guess, you know, obviously uh, so much is going on right now in terms of Black, Black Lives Matter and, and the sport. Um, you know, there's been so much efforts in, in terms of creating more diversity and more participation. Um, would love to get your perspective, as Mitch alluded to, kind of being one of the pioneers back, back then to, to kind of how you see things now. And um, have, have we made any strides? Have we made a few strides? I mean, it's, it's like... And I recognize we have so much farther to go, but just I would love to hear your perspective in terms of um, some, some areas where you feel there's been some positive changes and where there's some specific areas where it's like, we're still, guys, like we're just, we're not even, we can't even look up and see the top of the, the hill yet. Yeah, I mean, it's 2.58. I mean, I don't know if we want to be on here for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, because this is something I can talk about for so long, seriously. Um, yeah. I've, um, I've taught, I've had so many conversations since, you know, the, the death of George Floyd. Um, at first, it started off being uncomfortable, which I'm sure you've heard and everyone's heard. You know, it's, you, you got to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations because it's not easy talking about race. Um, where, where now, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I've been on some Zoom calls with the University of Carolina men's across team talking to them and um, other uh, teams as well as uh, – with 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 Nike, we're just having conversations, so it's it's good, you know. From a lacrosse perspective, you know, it's great, you know, as Kyle Harris and, and Chaz Woodson say, to see more brown legs out there. There's no doubt about it. Um, I still think um, we have a long way to go, and I just think it's it's more kind of like how I alluded with myself. It's like, you know, I knew I was a great athlete, but you know, I didn't know how I was gonna do on the lacrosse field I felt like I could compete and, and I could play at a high level but at the same time there was so much pressure because you I was the only one out there and it's like huh that looks weird you know yeah. what's he doing playing this sport and I think in certain areas there's more acceptance than others just like the everyday conversation of race in certain areas people don't think there's racism um I and in certain areas there are it's just it's just a fact um you know, and, and it was a comment on one of the calls I was on where, you know, when you look at just the country in general, um, not everyone's racist. I mean, there, there's not a lot of racism out there. Like I said, there's certain areas. I just think people are unaware, right? And that's probably the biggest part of the conversation that I've, uh, I've been involved in is just explaining what life as a black person is every day. You know, I mean, I, I live in a town, um, where my wife grew up in Hingham, Mass. It's beautiful, beautiful town. It's right on the water. Uh, it's 99.6% white population, you know? So really, I probably wouldn't be living here if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, we just got, we, we got a great situation with, with the house. 
Um, and I probably wouldn't be as comfortable as I am here if it weren't for lacrosse. The fact that, you know, my, my background, coach for Boston, it's big lacrosse town. You know, I have those 600, 700 families playing lacrosse. That's sort of my support system. Outside of that, I mean, people just probably wondering why there's a black man walking in downtown Hingham. You know, it, I'm serious too. And that's a scary yeah. thing. It's like, and that's sort of how, you know, the everyday oppression is have, how you've heard people explain it. It's like, you know, walking out of the house, you know, I got to be careful what I'm wearing at what time of the day. If I'm driving home at, at night, I got to be very aware of that. You know, hey, I got to, you know, if it's a 30 mile per hour speed limit, I'm going 25, 26. I don't want to go too slow because I just, you know, those are just things that I can constantly think about. And that's what, you know, everyday life of a black man is like. And I think, you know, the more people who are starting to express that and educate and make people aware, people are like, wow, never thought of it that way, you know? So, um, and it's interesting too, uh, a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Matt Dwyer and I had a conversation um, a couple of weeks ago and, and, you know, Matt's been very vocal and, and about it, but he, he was talking to me and he goes, he was in Boston at like dusk and he looked up at this alleyway that was very dim lit. And before he walked up, he thought to himself, if I was black, would I be comfortable going up here? And the fact that he took that time to think that way, you know, says a lot because that's how life is for, for me and so many other people. Like, there's no way I'm going to walk up a dimly lit alleyway in Boston at that time because people would just be like, what's going on? What are you doing? You know, and we've seen some of the results of that. So, you know, it, as far as, you know, just to get back to the original question of lacrosse, I, I think it's come a long way and I love social media and, 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 and connecting to so many more people of color, black, Latinx. I think that's great, but I still think um, we have a ways to go. Well, you, I mean, you bring up a point we talked to, um, we talked to Chaz a week ago and I thought he, he illustrated some really interesting points. And one of the points that he brought up was like, look, I get pulled over. He's like, they don't know that I play lacrosse, that I'm like a predominant, you know, just like you said, and people in Hingham maybe know that, but, but not if they're not connected to the lacrosse community or who you are or why you're there. And, and he, he brought up the point. He's like, would something like this have to happen to me for my friends to really understand what's going on here? And I thought that was really like eye opening. And, and Trevor Baptiste wrote an article in us lacrosse he had a run in with the police and I was just like, man, like who would ever do that to Trevor Baptiste? Cause you know, you know, I know him as a person. Um, but I, I thought those are just two really unique perspectives where you don't have that benefit of the doubt of like the badge of, I played for the cannons. I'm a member of the lacrosse community here. I'm, you know, a coach and a, and a father to, to hang them resident. Like that, that's so hard in that, in that moment. So I think, like you said, having that perspective yeah. that more people can, kind of take a second to try to have some empathy about who, who, who everyone is, no matter what they look like. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, I thought that, um, that NFL commercial was powerful. You know, when they all came on and just said, what if I was George Floyd and you know, all these guys that you see on, on Sundays and, and are big fans of, and you just like, you're looking at them like, hmm. and uh, I thought that was a very powerful um, action call to action for sure. 
Well, we can uh, let's let's dive into some videos. Got to got to show some video here. We we'd be remiss not to show a little bit of BD making some saves. So set the stage here. 1992. We got Syracuse versus North Carolina. You still there, BD? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Wow. Look at those buckets. So what, what, what do we got here? We got a game in the Dome. Do you remember what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, it's my first start in the Dome. It was, uh, um, it was electric. It was. I was uh, I, we end up losing this game. Tom, Tom Marichek came from behind the goal and basically took off. I'll never forget this. Dove from behind through the crease and, like, dunked it. In, in the corner, and the, I'll never forget the, the sound of the crowd. It was so freaking loud. Mm. And um, right then and there, I was like, okay, I'm a little rattled. I need to settle down. <laughs> <laughs> I need to settle down. But, uh, but yeah, I wore 33, Barney Aburn's number, because uh, can't remember, I don't know if we lost my number two or if, uh, if it didn't get washed, I can't remember. But yeah, oh, this you was were, um, you only wore you only wore thirty three for this specific game. For this game, yep, yep, yep. Okay, can I just yeah. say, can I just say <laughs> the fall down move? If you fall down on offense and keep the ball, guaranteed you get past your guy. Like every time, if you fall down with the ball on your stick and you keep the ball on your stick, you're getting past your guy. It's it's unbelievable how often that works. This is awesome. I gotta, I gotta check this game out. I can see this one. Yeah. So who, are some, um, who are some of the studs yeah. out here? Out here. You got Matt Ritter on attack, Marichek, Jamie Archer, uh, Lockwood is obviously out there, 22, Coesley, Finn um, for, for Cuse, Beardsley on defense. Um, I want to say was was Saran there yet in goal? I know he was there my senior year, but yeah, junior year he was too. Yep, because we actually yeah he was there. Um, yeah, this was a this was a we always played the, the the second or third game of the season. So this was you know this was a a, a big tilt for us. You know, you get fired up for, for the Chiefs. You know they they got us this year. And then uh, my senior year, they came down to Carolina and we put a little spanking on them, 10, 10 to 3. So that was that was nice payback for sure. We'll fast forward here. What, so, so fast, fast forward here. What, what, year right so there, what, 12. Look at those shorts on the ref. Looking good. What did I this thought you definitely – had the, uh, had the dive goal queued up for me. <laughs> Let's see. Was it, is it the game winner? Oh, oh no. it, it was in the corner. Ryan Wade right there. Eric Saramet. Dan Donnelly. S Steve Spears, number 14. J.D. Kidd right there. Johnny Webster from BL right there, number 15. Oh, that's a, that's a muffin okay. there. That's a free clear. That's yeah, it's popcorn. Yeah. yeah. John Winship right there, bringing the ball down. You stay in touch with most of the guys on your team. It sounds like you guys have a pretty a pretty tight unit. Yeah, we do. Um, we actually, once this whole COVID thing started, like 
a lot of guys did, right? We we hopped on a few Zoom calls uh, and just caught up, which was good. Um, obviously, we're all getting older. We burn Reed right there, come off the field for Cuse. Um, we're all getting older, so we just try to stay in touch and, and um, you know, talk about the good times. That was a nice save on Lockwood. Nice save, BD, yeah. You know, where about, whereabouts was that dive goal, you know? Uh, I can't remember. Of course not. I think you missed it. I think it was like the first or second goal of the game because Ricky Kramer scored, I think, the first goal. And then I think – then I think – Marichek had the second goal. He he go for the. I mean, we, we don't have to find it though. I'm sure we got other things to do. What's what's your recall on like on like plays and games? You remember like do you remember each each play like exactly as it happens, or are you kind of spotty here or there? I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm 48 years old, so I I wouldn't say I I remember each play as it happens, but like just watching this. Like a couple of these clips that you just showed me brings me back to some some of the moments in that game that were that I, that that were big. Um, I do remember key key plays, you know. Like I'll never forget uh, first year of Major League Lacrosse. We're playing in the semifinals and playing against the BayHawks, and uh, we lost by one. But um, they had a man up, and and I watched this play on film over and over again they circle it round once and then they get it back to Marky Millen down in the bottom left corner and he's been wide open every single time and every single time he sort of did his little fake to that lower corner and then dip and dunk and then bring it back near pipe and um, I just you know played it in my mind over and over again so when he got the ball one-on-one -on -one with me I sort of gave him a hard like dip to the stick side low and then I came back up and popcorn right there one-on-one. -on -one. So <laughs> things like that stick in my mind, especially when it's against a good good friend like that. Yeah, you guys must have battled through, through so many different sports and years and it's it's kind of it's kind of cool you guys have probably been going after each other since middle school, right? It sounds like even little league. Yeah, we used to. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I he threw me a a curveball when I was 11 years old and I took it over the center field fence and I never let let him forget about that too <laughs> love it love it but he will say if you know in in his defense he's struck me out two times right before I hit that home run so he, <laughs> he had a nasty curveball nasty curve and, and and you know I think a story that I actually I think I kind of knew but I I've never seen I don't know if you've seen a clip of it would but in 93 you actually broke your neck during a game, right? It wasn't – you weren't carted off. You came back – I think you finished the game, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> playing. But yeah. What, was, what, what, what happened there? Um, as you can see by a lot of the clips that are being circulated, I was very aggressive. I think that's just my midfielder in me that, I, you know, if I made a save and there was a loose ball, I was going to come out and get it or come out and put you on your back, one or the other. And um, so um, – it was in the first quarter against Hopkins. I want to say Milford Marchand. It was a fast break. Milford kept it, um, took a shot, off stick, nice save, push it out to my off stick side, ball scoots out. Um, all of a sudden, I just dart after it to, to try to pick it up and push tran transition. All of a sudden, this big 6'5 monster just appears out of nowhere, and I was Terry Reardon. And it just happened so quickly, I kind of like just – jumped and kind of leaned into him 
to try to bump them off the ball. Like I've, I've done it before. You bump someone off the ball, then you pick it up and go. And it was just a weird angle. And he, the way he came at me and just, we hit and I hit from the side of my neck and I just dropped down and um, literally couldn't move for like 45 seconds. Chuck Reshi came over to me and he was like, BD, come on, get up. We need you. Let's go, BD. Come on, come on. We need you. I'm like, Chuck, I can't move. And all of a sudden, everyone just came on the field and went through all that. And then, bam, I got feeling back in my fingers. But something was wrong. We knew something was wrong. So I, I, I didn't play the rest of the first half, doing all tests on me and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, halftime, I came out and I warmed up a little bit. I wasn't, you know, you just I knew I wasn't myself, but I felt like I could play. So we came back in in the second half and I, uh, I played. I didn't play great, made some saves, but we ended up winning. We beat Hop, but then um, after that, they took me to get tests and everything. I did MRI and um, came back negative. And then on Tuesday, I did a CAT scan because I remember we were getting ready for Virginia to go up to Virginia. And uh, that's where they found I had two fractures in my C6 vertebrae. So I can imagine like two, two and a half hours after that game where it happened, right? You have the adrenaline pump in, you're fired up. That's how it always, and then you're like, I, was it was it just like, could you not move? I mean, obviously you can move, move, but were you like, oh my God, something's really it wrong. Was, yeah, it was just discomfort. Like, you know, it's like, you know, if, if you've ever broken a bone, it's just it's that agonizing throbbing, you know what I mean? And it was just like, you could feel it. Um, I'm just lucky I didn't do anything stupid, you know, and like, if I would have just like fell down the, the wrong way or hip hit my head again, then it could have been um, permanent, which so I was, I was very fortunate. How scary were those kind of 45 seconds where you're like, I can't, I can't move anything. Or did you not even have a chance to like process the information kind of in the moment? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, when you think back on it, you're like, Holy smokes. It, it was pretty yeah. scary, but you're exactly right. It was just, the 45 seconds, 40 seconds felt like an eternity, first of all. But it was kind of like, you didn't really have time to process it. You're like, what's going on? How come I, I got to play? That's the first thing in, in your mind. As a, you know, as an athlete, you guys know, you want to get back on the field and help your team win. So I'm like, I got it. All right. All right. What, what's going on? And then once it came back, you know, every test I passed, and that's why they were comfortable at the time putting me back in, you know, now – Nowadays, we know once anything happens to the neck, it's like, yeah, you know, on a board and, and you're going to the hospital. So, um, unfortunate situation, uh, but I was very fortunate that I was able to walk off the field, and here I am today. So, yeah, and then and then you know you had this, you know, this good, great career at UNC, won a national championship, and and. I guess you went on to play some club lacrosse afterwards, right? Because it was before that you graduated, well before the MLL had actually started, not well before, a couple of years before the MLL had actually started. Um, and then, and then <laughs> <laughs> but, but what, you know, what, and then you coach college right out of school, right? That was your first, that was your first yep. job. Yep. So I actually, um, so after my senior year, I stayed on at Carolina, finished up in December and I coached for a year down there just to sort of get, get my feet wet in the coaching world. And then um, Coach Tony Seaman called, called down the Carolina, spoke to Coach Parman, got my number, and invited me to come, in, come up to uh, Hopkins um, and work with John, John Marcus. Um, 
in 95. And that was, uh, if you remember, that was a year we were undefeated, uh, had a great squad, um, one of the best offenses ever. And uh, we ran into a hot goaltender. Uh, oh, you're going to call him a hot goaltender? That's, what you're, that's how you're going to label him? I mean, he was hot. <laughs> he was on fire. I mean, come on. Doc and I have these conversations all the time. <laughs> he, he's one of the best to ever play the game. But we also lit his butt up. <laughs> we lit him up at Homewood. He went from, you know, he, he did his guessing oh. game. We, we yeah, put yeah. like 15 or 17 on him at Homewood. But turns, you know, turns lacrosse into a game of rock, paper, scissors. But <laughs> at the semis, in the semis, in, in College Park, he was on fire. He was in every one of our shooters' heads. He, he played the doc game. He yep. had them thinking, overthinking. You know, he was baiting them to shoot to the off stick, and he was just exploding to it. And then guys started thinking, what do I do? And they're talking about it during the freaking timeouts. Right there and there, I'm like, we're done. Maybe, oh, at, really? maybe at Homewood was uh, that was he's playing the long game. He's like, I'll guess wrong the whole first game, then the second game, I'm ready to rock and roll. Is that the is that the best goalie performance you, excluding yourself, of course? <laughs> is that the best goalie performance that you've ever seen? Oh, um, it's in the top five. I mean, top five. No, my. What are you? What's in your top five? Sal Ocasio. Just, I mean, world team down at Homewood. I mean, insane. I mean, just some of the battles that Sal and I had early years in in the MLL. Um, same with Doc. Um, Not top five also, goalies. Top five single games. I know, well, okay, Sal Acasio against Canada, Homewood. Okay. That was yep. insane. Yeah. Uh, Paul Schmoller versus North Carolina in. Um, uh, that would have been my 88. That would have been my senior year. He was in, he was on fire. Um, Got to give Quint, Quint the nod, believe it or not, um, against freaking uh, Carolina. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, Doc is definitely in the top three or four that, that game. I mean, he was just yeah. insane. So you bring up Schmoles and in, in your senior year, you're talking senior of high school, right? So were you, yeah. were you just a, once you were locked in, were you like a junkie, a college lacrosse junkie, watching goalies, trying to study them? Was that like, were you were you following Schmoles? He's a Long Island guy, right? Is he? Is yeah, he Long Island guy. Yeah, Schmoles, Schmoles, and Sal were were the two. Like I, I would say, I, I followed mostly, um, just because they had different styles. But they both played. Uh, I mean, I don't say different styles. They they both both played similarly because they both sat back on the goal line and relied on just. Schmoles was so intelligent. He and, and yeah, yeah, quick hands, but he was just so smart the way he would talk about playing goal. Because I also had him at camp, and then I got to work camps with him as well. You know, in between after college and and before MLL started, you know, that's when I was on on the camp circuit with Schmoles a lot, and I just you know his his style of play was just it was insane. Um, and he was so calm and just laid back and deliberate, you know, and that's one of the big things I try to teach young goalies today. It's that, you know, it's like, if you can defeat this part and just chill out and just, you know, rely on your athleticism and just play, you're going to be pretty darn good. It's when you start overanalyzing and start thinking and is when you can, you know, you become your worst enemy, really. Um, and then Sal was just Sal, man. He was, 
you know, you look at Sal, you're like, and then you see him play, you're like, you know, it's just, that's exactly what it was. You know, it was insane. His hands were so quick, you know, and he just played his angle so well. Uh, and they were both great, great communicators and great leaders. Well, you talk, you talk about those early years, you know, the club years and then the early years of the Cannons. Let's pull up uh... – this, this has a, a smattering or a mix of both Cannons and, um, and some Carolina clips, but this is an awesome video that the Powell Lacrosse put together. You guys uh, – shout, shout out Powell Lacrosse. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the Powell boys. Oh, let's go. You guys got this? Look, look uh, get a clear look at it? Yeah. Yeah. So is this is this one of the championships here, Billy? I know they were talking about like last week and against the Lizards, you were crushing it. No, so this was like this was the pregame, like the hype video for the Lizards game. So that was uh, that was against the Barrage. Yeah, the, uh, the Barrage would not have been in the championship in those days. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the last spot of this year, it was between the Barrage and I. Uh, the, uh, excuse me, the barrage and the cannons, and we were both three and ten. Uh, <laughs> we got the last spot because we beat him. Who's it? Is this against Towson or UMBC here? That's Towson in the it's in the Towson. national championship game. I saw him. Nice, clear. Look at that outlet. That's the dome that you just showed. Oh, this is against Gettleman. What were so what what talk about these early years of the MLL? You know, what were you part of like I, I think you were part of telling Matt Dwyer like he should he should get a team in Boston, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was in, in, in that we had a meeting, you know, with uh, Dave Gross and Matt Dwyer, um, myself, Bill Adele, who else was in that meeting from a player perspective? Like, there was one other person who was involved and we were just talking about why we should bring uh, a franchise to Boston and, um, you know, who some of the players would be, you know, that could, that could potentially um, come to Boston and, and, and play. So yeah, we were sitting in Matt's, Matt's kitchen. I'll never forget that. And that was sort of the, the, the start of the Boston Cannons. It was pretty cool to be a part of that. And so you were, you were on the team in, in 2001 was the first year, right? And then Coached from coach from 2006 to 2011, so you really saw the league from its infancy all the way through, and then eventually winning a championship in 2011. What were some of those early years like versus like when you were coaching? What was it like being on both sides of that coin? Well, you know, I, I think the early years, you know, and, and no disrespect to anyone who was involved, but it was more like a glorified club. I mean, we 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 had you know obviously we had great talent, but you know. Hey, Goalies were making games were like twenty to twenty one. I mean, there was ridiculous amount of scoring. That is a testament to the talent from an offensive perspective. But it was hard to really play defense. <laughs> I mean, only th only three poles are allowed. Three poles. Goalies were making anywhere from eighteen to twenty five to twenty. I mean, you look at some of the records, right? They were like. I had like a, a 31 save game and then someone broke, broke my record. I had like a 33 save game. I think doc finally had like a 34 save game. It's like seeing that much rubber. Um, you know, I know it was hard to get everyone to Boston, but we, you know, you thought when we all played together, when, when, when I coached you guys, it was hard to practice. It was impossible to practice back then. So it was really like 
people just showed up on on Saturday and and put on the uniform and just went out and played with the cross. That was it. But you know, it, it it hats off to the just you know being able to maintain uh, to get to where you know the the days where um, I started coaching and then you know started thinking of it from a different perspective and you know really um, 2011 obviously a very special year for all of us um, you know RB had two or three you know prior to that so you know that was a that was a nice one for him but you know he had the, all the rings. Uh, but it was just for me. I really learned. I really learned um, how to take input from some of the best players in the game, and you know, utilize that to 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 coach. I think that was the really big step for me in 2011. Just you know, um, and I I, I attribute that. Uh, to why we had so much success, you know, I mean, we had a great team, but every team is great, right? It's just, you know, the guys you have on the team and the buy-in and getting them to just, you know, roll together and do what, do what we did, which was pretty sweet. BD, if I'm not mistaken, you were the, you were the first class of the MLL, so you have to had to have been you know, the either the first black player or the, the, the first several. And, and I, you were the only black coach at, in our time there, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Like Brian like, Silka had one year. At, oh, at he did. Dragons. Okay. Yeah. That's right. My apologies to, to, to silly. Um, you know, I, what, what was that trans transition like in, in terms of, now you'd coach at the collegiate level. Um, but I, I think in terms of having, and, and a lot has been made right now in terms of the, the division one level, um, you know, that transition from, from player to, to now coach and, and how you had to kind of change your mindset. And, and I think what that means to the, to the players that are on the team, maybe, maybe like a Johnny Christmas, that's like, uh, it's tr just tremendous to have someone that's black and in the position of authority. And, and also like within the, the greater kind of Boston community, if you're, if you're a black player and you're looking up and the, the Cannons coach is, is a black man. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you're, that's, that's a, spot on valid point. I mean, it was really with all the stuff going down over the past, you know, few weeks, um, obviously a lot of outreach from, from different folks, but hearing from guys like John Christmas and I, I won't yeah. share. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 You know, just hearing from guys like that and, and, and obviously um, a lot of comments on social media about uh, what I represented as, like you said, Ryan, not only a, a, a a player but a coach and um you know it's 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 special and you know i'm very thankful to have the opportunity but i just hope that you know like we talked about earlier you know when one day we look on the sidelines and you know we don't see two or three browns set the legs but we see maybe half of the team you know it's you know that's yeah. that's what i love to at a, at a division one perspective but it, it's um you know I do feel in some sort of a way I, I need to be a role model to young uh, black lacrosse players because it's, it's, you know, it's, um, and I know Trevor talked about this and I, I think Jules did a nice piece on this, but you know, when you're growing up playing this sport, you know, you're not really mingling with your black friends because they're wondering why you're playing a sport that white guys are playing. So you are trending to hang more with the white guys, and all of a sudden you become, and for lack of a better word, the, the token black guy. 
and you know it's okay right that's what i that's that's sort of the, the message you're an athlete first and foremost you're a lacrosse player secondly doesn't matter what color of skin you are. If that's a game you yeah. love, you want to compete and play it, and by all means, you know, go. Don't be held back because people don't think you belong. Well, and you know, to your point earlier about like, I've heard the word exhausting as 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 the only black player, as the only black coach, right? You feel like everyone directs all their questions at you, but it's I, I guess as you mentioned, it's kind of part of the responsibility now of having those uncomfortable conversations but also leading those uncomfortable conversations and so um you know i think that that to what you said about guys calling you and and think it means a lot to obviously everyone who, who gets to interact with you but for us to get that perspective from someone that we respect got to win with and i started playing that clip um from the 2011 championship game but i, I think just hearing all these different perspectives is what really is is so helpful for ryan and i as you know White, middle age, middle age, not quite yet. Younger, I'll, I'll, younger. I'll take middle age. It's fine. I'll own it. It's fine. I'm early, like, you know. Early middle age white guys. Uh, but having that that perspective from someone that we respect so much and, and got to learn so much from, I think is, is really huge. Well, thank you. I mean, it's uh, you guys are uh, obviously are, are, are in a position where you can help influence so much because of the amount of kids you work with and, and touch on a daily basis. So, you know having conversations with guys like myself and Chaz and Kyle and just that sort of that, that, that generation and, and uh, uh, players of color help you guys sort of, you know, be good. Um, it's the word I'm looking for. Just, um, just good, good voices. People of voices. People you could, well, you are good people, but oh. just have that voice and, and carry that, that, that voice along. And, Obviously, you know, if you see something, I mean, you know how now a, 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 a black player or a person of color coming into your program may feel. I mean, they feel ostracized because he doesn't have, you know, it's not too many of him like him playing. So, you know, how do you then engage and engage everyone around? And we talked about team sports is different, but, you know, coming into a club situation may be different than, you know, playing on a team with guys for a full year at the college level, you know what I mean? So I just think, you know, understanding what uh, can potentially happen and being a voice and being able to sort of just help is what I'm saying, if that makes sense. Yeah, and camp is a great, uh, you know, we've, we've, all, we've worked with, with Harlem Lacrosse and Bronx Lacrosse and, um, and, and had players from both of those programs come up to our camps in Millbrook. And I think that is something that I, I've been hyper aware of when up there is like, being inclusive and making sure that those kids who maybe haven't been out of the city ever or, or very rarely, you know, feel comfortable and at home. And, and so that's been, that's been a really special experience for me getting to work with a lot of those players that, that we have. And, and that's been a partnership with them and the Boyardi foundation. So that's really hit, hit close to home for me, but that's been a special one um, that I, I really look back on like those relationships that I've built with some of those players. And now you know, you got guys that are that are playing in college and doing really great things, and uh, and it's it's awesome. It's awesome to see that that coming to fruition. Cool. Well, let's, we gotta we gotta watch a 2011 championship win. You know, we can't. We'll we'll wrap up the the you know the the long long form interview on on some commentary. But did you did you? I mean, we talked about this. We had the shirts with the monkey. You know, the monkey on the back that we wanted to get the monkey off our back of finally getting a win. Did you know this 2011 season was going to be a special one? 
you know, actually, the the monkey was 2010, if, if you recall, and then uh, so we didn't apparently he didn't. Apparently he didn't. Uh, the monkey made a big uh, impact. The timestamp did not. <laughs> yeah, this year we just said nothing. We didn't do any shirts. It was just about you know the those group of men in the um, in the locker room. I mean, you know, we like I said, we had talent. I think this year was just you know I looked looked at it like I said, you got a bunch of um coaches around me not not just the staff but you know i mean everyone's got a high iq played at a high level like like i said have won multiple championships at different levels so it was just sort of a lot of listening um understanding and then trying to Im implement what i was hearing with some of the, the the decisions we made um whether it was rosters or or you know little things like man up or man down or whatever it may be. But I think, you know, even, you know, I said, you always say the, the, the players bought in, but you know, it was also the, the, the staff bought in. And I think it was just a, it was a special group. You know, we had a freaking kick-ass team and um, it was good to finally get the monkey off our backs. That's for sure. Even if we didn't have the shirts to, uh, to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you need to fact check them before he gets on these interviews. I, you know, this was late at night. Research is happening. This is after the kids are in bed. You know, it was a long day. I definitely need a yeah. fact checker. <laughs> My dad has offered to do the fact check. His dad has offered. His dad has offered, and we should probably now take him up on that. I'm more of a big picture guy in these interviews. I need someone that's getting down to the nitty gritty details. That's awesome. Um, well, well, BD, I, you know, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your perspectives and, and getting to watch some some awesome highlights with the old Bacharach lace-ups uh, we'll, we'll, we always end on some quick hits so gotta 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 get your your thoughts best place to play a lacrosse game Denver Colorado Mile High Stadium did you play there in in your MLL career or just coach there just coach there but it was just awesome yeah, yeah, we had some we had some good ones with the cannons. I feel like we always had, we had some good ones. We had some good ones, huh? <laughs> that was fun. Uh, how about shooter the shooter that always had your number? Or who you hated who you hated shooting on you the most? Oh, Gary Gate. <laughs> he's probably he's probably on a lot of goalies lists. <laughs> We're, we're in your kind of greater, greater area. So like Hingham extended, we'll call it. Yes. Okay. South Shore. Yeah, yeah. South Shore. Okay. South Shore. I'm, you know, such a local, um, totally, totally should my, um, <laughs> what's the like hidden gem eating spot that's like not in like, it's like I ask you as opposed to some guide or some of this or and not like the top spot you send, like, just give me like the spot that you would actually go to. Oh, that's, that's a good question. That's a good one. Uh, you definitely put me on the spot with that one. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you a real truthful answer because I'm, I'm impressed with time. So what I'm going to say is um, South Shore, the spot where I would send a good buddy to get a good meal is going to be the snug love um, it already love it already and you're going to either get the steak tips or you're going to yeah. get a burger okay 
Boston. You had, Boston people you, love the steak tips. I, I love steak tips too, but that's a big Boston thing, I feel like. You had me at snug. <laughs> Great pint of Guinness too. It's Perfect. 20, 21 and over. I'm, I'm middle-aged if you weren't following along. <laughs> I know, I'm staying for, you know, in case people you know, younger are, are going to listen to this. Sure. <laughs> uh, best, best teammate that you've ever had. Oh, boy. Wow. Um, shit. Shucks. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean. Ryan Silcott. All right. Silcott. All right. We've, we've let some people kind of like, oh, I've got a bunch, but I'm glad that there's a couple people who have stuck to their guns and picked one. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I had a lot of great teammates. We yeah. all had. It was just, it was the, the relationship we had was pretty, pretty special on and off the field. All right. Well, you know, I know you're, you got to run and we appreciate your time, but if you had to pick one lacrosse memory that if you could only keep one, it was your best of all time, what, what is that going to be? Um, you know, most memories are revolve around uh, championships. Uh, but I would say the best memory was graduating with uh, my, 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 my boys from North Carolina in 1993. We had a big class, 14 seniors, and we just had a really, really special bond. So, you know, um, it's not a lacrosse memory per se, but it's, it's, you know, it's those, those guys who I went through four years of school with and just became like brothers. That's why we're, we're so tight today. So that, that would be it. Class of 93. Class of 93. Awesome. Well, BD, you know, I, uh, my only, my, my first real championship was, was winning with you. And so, You'll always have a, a special place in my heart for leading us there. And it was, it, it's been great getting to know you over the years and just can't say thank you enough for coming and sharing your perspectives here and, and watching some, some old school lacrosse. Um, so thanks. Thanks again for, for coming on. It was great, great catching back up. I appreciate the invite. Thank you very much for having me on and love to do something else with you guys. So keep in touch. Thank you. Yeah, no, we will. It's, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of got into this thinking we were just going to be teaching about lacrosse. And as we all find as, as coaches and teachers and mentors, like we're just using lacrosse as a vehicle for, for life. So um, appreciate you, know, you and, and you coaching us and the lessons you taught us and, and whatever's imparted, whether it's lacrosse or life, if people kind of listen to this. Awesome. That's great. Thanks guys. Thanks. Good seeing you.